Good morning again. Uh, let me just say before we jump into our message how important it is to me that you find a way to get into a house group this fall. Uh, we, as many of you know, are in a loneliness epidemic in this country right now. And what we need, what I need, what you need, is real live people, like people in the flesh around us, supporting us, encouraging us to grow and grow in our faith. And House Groups gives you an opportunity to have people like that uh, in your life. So if you're on the fence, like, oh, I just can't decide, jump over into the glorious land of House Groups, okay? All right, let's uh, jump into our uh, message this morning. Um, you know, if you have been a Christian for a little while, I know many of you are new in your faith, some of you have been walking with Jesus for a long time, but when you walk with Jesus for a while, you realize that there are ups and downs. And when you get into a valley of your faith, you'll realize that you might get to a spot where you start to just ask some tough questions, like, God, are you even there? Do you still love me? Is heaven even still my future? But Christians, God wants you to know so deeply of his unwavering love for you. And we're gonna see that laid out so deeply and so beautifully in scripture this morning. So I'd love for you to grab a Bible. I wanna show this to you. Uh, Bibles are under the chair in front of you, so go ahead and grab one, whether you bring your own or you grab one here. I don't care how you do it, but I want you to have it in front of you so you can see it. We don't put it on the screen or anything here because we want you to study and see the word of God. Uh, we are gonna be on page 798. Uh, we are continuing in a brand new series called Remarkable Redemption on the first half of the letter of Ephesians. Uh, if you were here last week in the introduction, we saw Paul lay out a number of gospel gems. Uh, the gospel is just the good news of Jesus Christ. And he's kind of continuing in that vein this morning, talking still about the beauty of the gospel. So we're Ephesians chapter one, so you find that big number one, and then we're starting at verse nine. Uh, that's where we left off, so find the small nine, and that's where we will be. Okay. He says, he, that's God, made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, <clears throat> which he purposed in Christ to be put in effect when times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. Okay, so if you look at verse 11 there, if you have it in front of you still, Paul makes what is, I think to a lot of people, kind of a controversial statement. He says that believers in Jesus have been chosen by God to be a part of God's family, having been predestined to it, he says. That means it was predetermined by God according, it says, to his plan, that God has worked out everything to his Will. Now, I promised uh, last week that this topic was going to come up again, and that this week we take some time out of the message to go a little deeper into it. So uh, let's do that, because I think for plenty of people, these verses can make them feel even a bit uncomfortable, because when you read a verse like this, you see that it reads anyway, like God isn't just aware of the future. Here it looks like he is planning the future, and that can be hard to wrestle with for some people. Now, on this sort of debate and this issue, typically there are two theological camps, two, most, two of the most common ways to look at it, and I want to show those to you. So the first one is named after a famous theologian called John Calvin, and this is called Calvinism, if you're taking notes this morning. So Calvinism is the belief that everything is predetermined. And the fact that I just went like this, 
predetermined. God planned that. Predetermined by God, including who will and who will not be saved. The second school of thought is called Arminianism. Uh, It is named after uh, the Dutch reformer Jacobus Arminius. And Arminianism is the belief that God is fully aware of the future, but he's not necessarily planning it, right? He limits, in fact, his will when it comes to human choices, especially when it comes to the decision of salvation, of who will and who will not be saved, okay? And Christians have hotly debated this topic for about 500 years now. I think in part because they both feel somewhat unsatisfying. Like, you look at Calvinism, and Calvinism, in a way, feels like it is greatly diminishing human freedom and free will, essentially, which is really important if you're going to have an authentic, loving relationship with God. And in Arminianism, God doesn't seem to be all that in control if he doesn't even know who's going to choose him. Like, is God really in heaven going like, what? Billy's in church this morning? I didn't see that coming, right? And so they both feel sort of unsatisfying. Now, maybe you have very passionate beliefs about one of these, or maybe you just don't care, okay? But either way, if you're a believer and you're reading through your Bible, what do you do when you come to a passage like Ephesians chapter 1 that reads very Calvinist, right? It says God chose you. You are predestined according to his plan. Or if you come to a verse that sounds a bit more Arminian, like a John 3.16 would be a good example, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, do you see the choice there? Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Like what do you do? I think it's kind of hard, and I think that's why so many people tend to just gravitate to just a quick and easy system. In fact, this is so kind of contentious, I get asked often, like, what is Renovation Church's stance on this issue? Now, I can't and I won't uh, speak for every pastor on staff and every theology teacher of Renovation U, but for two decades now, I have always told people that I am a Calminian. I am both, uh, and I, th- okay, to me, that's not, before you go there, I saw you casting stones at me with your eyes, that is not a, that's not a cop-out for me, that's truly what I see in Scripture, because when I read the Bible, I see that the Bible clearly says that God is sovereign, he is in control, he chooses us, I mean, we literally just read that, right, he chooses us, and yet it also says that we need to choose him. And how those two things work together, I believe, is on a plane of understanding that is way above my own brain's ability to understand as a human. Just like a four-year-old can't even begin to comprehend how the adult world works because their brain just isn't ready for it, I think that I can't expect as a human being to understand how God's universe works. And so as a pastor, as a Bible teacher, I let those tensions on who's in control, I let them remain. In part because the Bible lets them remain. I I once saw Gary Hamrick, who's an excellent Bible teacher from Virginia, uh, explain it this way. Maybe this will be helpful to you. A few years ago, Jeep had this really fascinating advertising campaign that looked like this. They had a bunch of pictures of animals. Here's the first one. They had a picture of a lovely giraffe. Here, this is a giraffe, right? Right? I don't know. What if you looked at it upside down? Is it a giraffe? Let's take a look. Oh, weird, it's actually a penguin. Huh, okay. Let's take a look at another one, right? 
Here's another animal picture for you. Beautiful. This is a elephant. Thank you very much. Uh, but what if, what if you looked at it upside down? We've got a, a swan. Okay, let's do another one. Here we have a doe. That's a deer. A female deer. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's look at it upside down and we get a seal. Okay, and so here's the thing. You can be looking at the same thing and one person can say, oh, that's a doe. And another person can say, no, it's a seal. And you're both right. And I believe that when we talk about God being in control and humans having choice, yes, they're both true. Now, you can, you can feel free to disagree with me on that, and that's, that's okay. I, I actually will sleep just fine tonight. Uh, I just, wherever you land from, this is my only hope for you. I just want you to be able to defend, to defend where you land from the scriptures. Because sometimes I think in this debate, people just get stuck in saying, I just don't like that. Or it doesn't feel right to me. You want to be able to defend your position from God's word. And like I said last week, when you get to a certain passage in the Bible that feels hard for you because of your theological presuppositions, never, never, never take the word of God and bend it to fit into your theological box. See what it says on its own. Okay, so when you're in Ephesians 1, and you plainly read that God has chosen you, I think one of the ways that you can take that to heart is to think of it this way. Okay, imagine that you are ultra wealthy, okay? This will be fun, you're super duper rich, and you go to buy yourself a luxury car, okay? And you're at like a super nice car dealership, and you're gonna pick out like a Lamborghini or a Porsche, or maybe for you it's like a a tricked out Escalade. For me, if it were me and I had all the money in the world, I would just want like a really, really fancy, just minivan, I feel like that. (laughs) I just, I'm all about efficiency. I feel like that would be really helpful for me, okay? But essentially, if you were at that car dealership, what they would have you do is probably get on like a big digital board and you'd be choosing different features and choosing just how you want it to be. Now, the Bible says that God has actually done a very similar thing with you. Psalm 139, in fact, says that he knit you together in your mother's womb. Ephesians chapter two, I'm gonna give you a little spoiler alert here. Uh, Verse 10 says this, I'll throw it on the screen. It says, for we are God's handiwork. The old translations used to say masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And what this is all telling us is that God has secured you as his own, okay? And the first piece of evidence that we're seeing in this text is this, number one that God has chosen you for his purpose. That means you're secure. If he chose you, it means you're secure. And this kind of stuff matters. It matters, like we said at the beginning, for the dark nights when you're questioning, right? If the king has chosen you, if he has picked you, you need to know that the king doesn't change his mind. He doesn't change his mind. You are secure in him. Okay, let's see what God inspires Paul to say next. So verse 13 now. It says, and you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. 
Okay, so we read here that when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit comes to reside in you. We actually did a whole message on this a few weeks ago called the temple. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, if you're kind of new to Christianity, is God. He's the third person in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Paul says when the Holy Spirit comes in you, it's kind of like a deposit. You know, I think in American English that might even be better translated for us as a down payment. So essentially, part of the reason that God is sending you the Holy Spirit is to give you a preview, a taste of the unparalleled inheritance that you're going to one day receive as an adopted child of God. Uh, this would be kind of like, okay, if there was a really wealthy business owner, and let's say that business owner had a very faithful assistant, and as he was getting older, he said to the faithful assistant, hey, I want you to know that I put you in my will, and when I die, you're gonna get $10,000. Now, that assistant might think like, really, you're gonna give me 10K? Like, I'm not even in your family. But let's say he sensed that sort of hesitancy and the wealthy business owner said, you know, and just to prove to you that I mean what I say, what I'll do is I'll set that 10,000 aside and I'll let it gain interest. And then I will give you the interest on that every year. You know, whatever, my interest rates are going up, but you know, let's say it's a few hundred bucks a year. If they gave that to you every year, it would be a deposit that would increase your confidence that the rest of it was indeed coming. So very similarly, what God is doing is he is giving you, in his generosity, a taste, a preview of the glorious things that are going to come for you as a saved believer when heaven comes, right? And this, to me, is the second aspect of how you can increase your confidence that you have been secured by the king in salvation. So number one was that God chose you, and number two is that God has given you already a down payment of what is to come. Again, that would be like the, think again of the ultra-wealthy person picking out a car. One, we know that they're gonna come get the car because A, they chose it, they picked it out. And B, if they put down a huge down payment on it, you're gonna increase your confidence that they're actually gonna come for the car. It's kinda like, okay, why, like why do people do down payments in the first place? Like if you're a store or a company and you require a down payment on your product, why do you do that? Well, stores do that because they wanna ensure that you're gonna actually follow through on your intentions, right? Okay, now apply this spiritually. God is giving you a down payment. He's giving you the Holy Spirit because he wants you to know that he is absolutely serious about following through on his intentions to give you eternal life. And he, he, he gives you a taste of it, a preview of it right now. And sometimes I think we get to experience that down payment, that deposit really quickly, and sometimes it's honestly rather slow. And I wanna talk about both of these because I want you to increase your trust that you are saved by Jesus because of this down payment. So if we look at the quick version, uh, let me explain it this way. I was having a conversation a couple of years ago uh, with one of my friends who is an atheist, and he was sharing all the reasons that I shouldn't believe in God, and I told him, I said, firstly, I don't think your arguments are, are that solid, but I said to him, even if they were, I actually don't think you could ever convince me because I have so deeply experienced God that I actually don't think you could talk me out of it. And I think for some of us, especially if you're one of the people who tends to be a bit more head-inclined than heart-inclined, I think we forget how important a real-life experience of the Holy Spirit is as a deposit as proof that God is real and that he is coming for us. I'm talking about like those moments in your life. They, they don't happen often. 
but those moments in life where you are just sure that God spoke to you, that he led you somewhere. Or maybe you were totally going the wrong way and you felt so convicted of sin, and that was the spirit. Or maybe it was one of the bottom three moments of your life and you're on your bedroom floor and you are sobbing and you just felt like the hand of God touch you and comfort you. Like those sort of moments, those are deposits, they're down payments for us to file away so that when you get in those valleys of your faith and you doubt and you start to say, did I just make all this up? Because this is all just not even real that you can go back to those moments and say, no, 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 I tasted that. That was real. That was God. And so sometimes you get to experience the down payment in this quick moment, but lots of times, honestly, it's not all that glamorous. It's kind of slow. It's more like what Paul describes in Galatians 5 as the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit is things like love, joy, peace, pace, patience. Uh, having good pace is good too. Uh, gentleness. A self-control, all of those kindness, all of those things. And we get the fruit of the Spirit wrong a lot. We think we got to strive to be those things. Actually, no, the text says God will make you into those things if you let him shape your life. That's the fruit he will grow on your tree. But think about fruit. How fast does fruit grow? Like if you sat staring at a strawberry, would you see it grow? No, right? And so some of these things are really going to be slowly developing in your life. Let me share an example of this in my own life. So the other night, I think it was like Tuesday or Wednesday night, I, for whatever reason, remembered this video that I had made as a 25-year-old youth pastor where I had gone in uh, with one of my friends to a local school here, and I did a bunch of interviews of students asking them uh, particular questions. And I thought, oh, I gotta watch this video. So I pulled it up on YouTube, and I'm, I'm watching this video of myself. I'm 25 years old. I'm walking around the school, and in the school, there's this poster for the high school play. And on the poster was one of our students in our youth group. And so in the video, I walk up to the poster, and I start having a fake conversation with the girl in the poster. I had an excellent falsetto and so forth. And uh, I li- in the video, I literally, I'm mocking her. I'm like making fun of her. And we showed the video to the entire youth group. And I'm watching this now, years later, and I'm mortified watching myself. I literally looked over my shoulder to make sure no one else was watching the monster on YouTube, right? And then I thought to myself, you know what? I would never in a million years do that right now. And why? It is because the Holy Spirit has grown at least some measure of the fruit of kindness and gentleness and self-control in my heart. Now, you can say, no, that's just because you're older, David. No, it's not. Listen, you know that plenty of people just get meaner as they get older, right? And so the Holy Spirit moving in our lives, sometimes fast, sometimes slow, is absolutely evidence that God has got you that you are secure in his love. Now, this passage is so rich with metaphors. I want to show you another one. Would you look at your Bibles again? Why don't you look to the middle of 13? So it's right where it says, when you believed. He says this. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. And so Paul says the Holy Spirit is not just a down payment. It's actually a seal that you are marked with. Now, if you go back to Paul's day, a typical seal that you would use to you know, seal a letter or a document look kind of like this. This is a classic version, right? And what they would do is they would take hot wax, 
and they would impress it, put it on the document, and then you actually impress it, I should say, with a, a, a signet ring to put your mark on there. And it was really common for uh, kings and other important officials to even have their own unique symbol on their signet ring. In fact, I'll give you an example of this. I tell you all the time that the Bible is not a legend. It is not a fairy tale. The Bible is true. So eight years ago, archaeologists literally dug up the actual signet ring seal of King Hezekiah from the Bible. In fact, let me show this picture to you. This is incredible. This is King Hezekiah's seal from the Bible 2,700 years ago, and we have it now, archaeologists. That's incredible. And so if King Hezekiah was making a seal like that on the document, and you saw it, maybe the letter passed through your hands to someone else, when you saw the king's unique seal on a letter, and you knew then it was officially from the king, and it was under the authority of the king, you did not open that letter on your life, because it was sealed by the king. That's what Paul is saying here, and he's saying the weight of that is so strong that in verse 14, Paul uses the word, he says, the Holy Spirit, therefore, is guaranteeing your inheritance. In other words, saying you don't and you can't mess with the king's seal. So the Holy Spirit is there not just to increase your confidence, he's actually there to guarantee you that you have been saved by Jesus Christ. And this is the third proof that you can have that you've been secured by the king, number three. So God chose you, he's given you a down payment, number two, and then number three is that God has guaranteed it with the king's seal. Again, if we go back to the car example, this would be like if a person went and they selected their car, right, and then they made a down payment for their car, and let's say the car was almost done, but it was like two weeks out, and they went and they stamped their own unique seal on the back, Right? What are all those things saying? They're proof, they're evidence that they are coming for it, that it's there, it's theirs. And my friends, that is what God is doing with you. And what you've received from God, it is no ordinary down payment. It's no ordinary seal. It's the king's seal. You've been marked. You have, believers, with the mark of the king of kings. And this is what, in ancient times, this is what kings would do. They would mark all their stuff, all their possessions. Sometimes they would go out and even brand their cattle with their unique symbol. And Paul is saying, you have been marked as the kings. And what's really cool is, it isn't just that he marked you with wax or a piece of paper or some paint. He's marked you with what? Himself. Isn't that crazy? He's marked you with himself. He came to reside in you. And if he came to do that, he is locked in and ain't nobody messing with the king's seal. And I think this biblical truth matters. Sometimes this can feel almost like kind of heady stuff, but this is why we, we, we teach and we preach a holistic Christianity here. Because the head matters, okay? But the heart matters because the head influences the heart. Because when you get in a really hard season, you're going, God, I just don't even know if I'm still saved. I don't even know if you still love me. Are you even there? God wants you to remember this truth. As we say here all the time, you cannot outsin the grace of God. And one of the reasons that you can't is because if you truly are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are sealed in him. Sealed. Your salvation, it can't be taken away. It can't be revoked. It's guaranteed. And that's in part because you didn't do anything to earn it. 
and so you can't do anything to unearn it. But we were saved for believing in what Jesus did for us, not by believing in what we did for ourselves. And I just, I just want to say, as we transition into a time of worship, I want us to respond to this. In fact, what I'm going to do now is I'm just going to ask our worship band to just come back on stage. And as they come, I want to invite you to respond in, in a couple of different ways. Maybe you're here, uh, some of you are here, and honestly, you're just in this dry season. And I just want you to know that's okay. Did you know that pastors have dry seasons? Yeah, everybody does, okay? And maybe you're in this dry season and you just need the touch of God again in your life. Uh, maybe you're here and you just need to cry out to God and say, I just want you back. Maybe you need to repent and you've been going the wrong way and you say, God, I just need to come back to you. I need to experience you again. If that's you, what I want you to do at any time during these last two worship songs is I want you to just gently just slide out of your row and I want you to come down to the front here to the altar, as we call it, this long, wide stage. I want you to just stand here. You can kneel even if you want to, and I want you to just pray and pour your heart out to God. And then what I'm going to ask is any of our prayer team members in the room or any of our elders that are in the room to just come behind you and very just gently, briefly just lay a hand on your shoulder and just pray over you as you pour out your heart to God. And church, I think we need to do this more. I mean, and we're really good at studying, right, and head, 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 but we, we need to experience and meet with God. What did you come here for today? I hope you came to meet with God. And so I want to see a number of you come, right? And you don't need to feel like, oh, if I come, everyone's going to think I'm a mess. Guess what? We're all a mess, okay, right? And we, the only reason we're not a complete disaster is because of Jesus. And so just continue to seek him along with the other messy people here who he's beginning to slowly clean up. But none of us are going to be perfect until we see him face to face, okay? So if you just need to pour out your heart to him, would you come and we'll pray over you, okay? And then finally, if you are here and you're going, you know what, you're talking about all these reasons we can be sure that we're saved, but I actually don't think I'm saved. I've never truly told Jesus that I believe he died for my sins. And he did, all of your sins. And the Bible says if you believe in that, you can actually be secure. You can be forgiven. You can have eternal life. He will come in and change your life. But that starts with a step of faith of saying, I believe and I want to be his follower. And if you need to do that for the first time, I'm just going to stand in this corner right over here. And I want you to just come see me. Anytime those last two songs, I'll pray over you and I'll get you started in following Jesus, okay? So anyone else, if you need God, just a deeper experience, you want to pour something out, you come up here. If you need to follow Jesus for the first time, I'll be in the corner. All right, let me pray. God, thank you so much that you seal us in, that we did nothing to earn our salvation and we can do nothing to lose it. And we're just so grateful for that. If it rested on us, we would all be in deep, deep trouble. We are so thankful for your love and for your mercy. It's your name we pray. Amen.